Geopolitics and Empire is joined by Russell Texas Bentley, who's an accredited war correspondent and human aid volunteer in the Donetsk People's Republic. He's been in Donbass since 2014, helping defend ethnic Russian civilians from attacks by the Ukrainian army and neo-Nazi volunteer battalions. He's also co-founder and vice president of Donbass Humanitarian Aid. Welcome to Geopolitics and Empire, Texas. Thank you, brother. I'm glad to be on your show, man. Uh, I've heard a lot of good things about you. Same here. I've been following your stuff uh, for quite a while now, and it's it's good to finally uh, catch up with you. And, um, you know, there's, some of my listeners have suggested that your, your views regarding Russia and the special military op operation may have become a little more nuanced. I'd like to get your thoughts on that, but also I'd like to get your thoughts on the Great Reset, which sort of serves as a context and background to everything going on. But before getting into Ukraine, Russia, NATO, and so forth, uh, I want to talk about America. You know, we're both Americans. You're from Texas. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm from Illinois. But it seems we both became disillusioned with the American empire. We both fled the U.S. Uh, I ended up in Mexico, you in uh, Donbass. And I I've seen America since the early 2000s decline economically, degenerate uh, culturally, and become totalitarian and so what's been your experience and, and and what's your view on the state of the empire and uh the american republic well <clears throat> i was born in austin texas in 1960 you know so i remember back when america was still you know if not living up to its image as you know the shining light on the hill whatever at least I mean, my granddad came back from the Second World War. He fought German Nazis in Europe. He was a tank commander. He came back. He got himself a college degree on the GI Bill, which means he didn't have to pay for it. He started selling life insurance, made enough money working by himself that uh, he, he could raise a family, a son and a daughter, put them both through college. His wife didn't work. He had a car. She had a car. It was, um, you know, as close to the American dream as it gets. You know, he had a little farm out in the country. He had a pretty cool house in North Dallas with a swimming pool and, you know, barbecues on the weekends and like that, you know. And that was that was the age in the 60s. You know, everybody, everybody was in pretty good shape. I mean, of course, you know, that was the, the time of the civil rights movement. You know, uh, it was the time of the Vietnam War, and I saw all that, too. And I actually lived in Dallas in 1963, uh, which uh, yesterday was the anniversary of the murder of JFK in Dallas. And I remember it, even as a kid of three and a half years old, because, you know, that kind of stuff uh, sticks with you. And I I mean, I, I, my whole life, I remembered what the front page of the Dallas Morning Herald was. You know, the next day, and it showed like the little dots coming down from the school depository to the car. You know, and it was like something that I always wondered about, you know. And then when I got older in my 30s and I had the time and money to be able to, you know, educate myself on things that I was interested in. You know, the JFK assassination is one of the things that I educated myself on. And I mean, you know, uh, I didn't go to college for it, but I'd say that my expertise on that subject is at a Ph.D. level for sure, you know. And from there, I mean, when I was in the U.S. Army in the 80s, I 
uh, was in Louisiana my last year, 1984, and uh, I almost ended up invading Grenada, you know, with the uh, 82nd Airborne. We were the reserve troops. If they had a hard time, we were flying in next. And so I've always had, I mean, like, I always love to read. I'm self-educated. To be honest, uh, you know, the last full year of school that I went to was the seventh grade, you know, and I got a GED, you know, I, I got a, went to school, uh, went to college in, uh, actually when I was in prison for weed smuggling and uh, I got a 4.0 average, you know, so my self-education seems to have worked pretty well. You know, I mean, in fact, American education system these days is diseducation, brainwashing and, you know, suppression of critical thinking. So growing up, I didn't watch TV. I didn't go to school. I taught myself and that gave me a different perspective. You know, I mean, 12 years old, I was going to the library. That was like 72. It was still the Vietnam War, bro. I'm reading books by Ho Chi Minh and Che Guevara. And I'm like, it looks like these are the good guys, you know? When Ho Chi Minh says we're fighting against, you know, invaders that came from another country with their army to enslave us. And I'm like, well, you know, if, you know, the Mexicans came to invade Texas, we'd fight against them too, you know? And so, and, you know, since 1980, since Reagan came in, you know, it was a downhill slope. I mean, of course, you know, the other presidents before Reagan were not saints or idealistic. I mean, I would say that JFK was the last good or not bad, you know, not truly evil criminal American president. I, 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 since, uh, I've got the, I've got the same view that JFK was the last real president, and I, I've heard you mentioned before as well. You know, nine eleven. I'm of the view that that was an inside um, that was dude, job. It's it's the litmus test. Anyone that thinks that the U.S. government didn't do it is either an idiot or a liar or both. And that's yeah. the end of that. A message from our sponsors. Our friends at Above Phone are on a mission to help people break free of the algorithm ghetto. They're starting with our phones because 99% of people today are addicted to the big tech ecosystem. We have alternative technologies available that Ramiro and his team at Above Phone have been evaluating. These tools are superior, not just alternatives. Are you ready to play above the rules of the surveillance capitalists? Let's remove our reliance on them for information, apps, and communications break free of their tracking. If we don't contribute to alternative software with our participation, we may lose the few choices we have. When you get a degoogled above phone, everything is made simple out of the box. Just plug your cell service in and go, or use Wi-Fi only. The above privacy suite provides important services using open source software that is run reliably and privately. It gives you a VPN, private email, search engine, encrypted chat, voice, and video calls, a calendar service, and an anonymous internet phone number. Because getting people on better systems is so important, they've upped their dedication to support. With each phone, you get a 30-minute support call, 24-7 email, chat support, and a knowledge base. Just like with our food, water, healthcare, schooling, and security, our tech needs to be sovereign. Browse available phones now and subscribe to the privacy suite at abovephone.com. Also, if you need health insurance that covers you wherever you may roam, Check out my friend James Guzman's Borderless Health Insurance. 
One of the great things about living internationally is saving money on health care, but private care overseas can be expensive. Go to borderlesshealthinsurance.com to watch a short presentation on expat and digital nomad health care and sign up for a free consultation to review your options. And, and then, yeah, you, you, go, you learn about the Federal Reserve, 9-11, the empire, and it's just like, and then it's starting, you know, for example, the Iraq war based on a lie of WMDs, and then you, one to two million Iraqis dead for, for nothing. And yeah. then you're just wondering. Every like, one we, of them a human being with his soul, you know? And, you know, so, I mean, so I saw Grenada, dude. I saw Yugoslavia, you know? I saw Iraq, Iraq 1 and Iraq 2, you know? Um, I saw Syria, I saw Libya, dude, I was, I really admired Muammar Gaddafi a lot, you know, and a lot of people thought, oh, he's like some crazy dude that rides camels and dresses in robes and stuff like that, lives in a tent. But I knew, you know, I had actually looked it up and seen that Libya had the highest quality of life in all of Africa, even higher than some European countries, you know, and that was because they had oil. But their government shared that treasure with the people. It wasn't like just the oligarch 1%, like in Saudi Arabia or in America or something like that, you know, where the parasite class sucks it all off and leaves nothing for the people. Muammar Gaddafi was a great leader, you know, in, in many ways. And he supported some causes like the uh, Irish Republican movement that I also highly support, you know. So I admired him. After after he was murdered and Libya was the state of Libya was destroyed, you know, I was just I was completely fed up. In fact, I had a girlfriend in Austin at the time and outside of her apartments, she had a big billboard of the U.S. Marines, you know, join the Marines for honor for a country. And it just used to piss me off every time I'd, you know, leave her house. I'd see that sign. And so one night I took some mountain climbing gear like right before dawn i climbed up you know 15 meters up this billboard wrote fuck nato in six foot tall letters dude and it was up there for more than a week you know and fifty thousand cars drove by it every day you know so that was like my statement and i felt like at least i did something but when i saw what started happening in the maidan and then directly after that, the absolute war crimes of the Ukrainian army against the civilians, you know, going into eastern Ukraine and the people there stopping them with their hands in front of a tank or a BMP and getting shot or getting run over. You know, the uh, the slaughter in Odessa, it's still, a, you know, unsolved crime, even though there's video of the people that were doing it, you know, yeah, the was- uh, attacks in Lugansk. All that stuff, once those war crimes started, I'm like, you know, I, I cannot live with myself if I don't do something about this. Yeah, th- that was my next question. As you're, as you're talking about, you see this just trajectory of U.S. empire, as you mentioned, in the 20th century, and then Iraq, and Afghanistan, and then, um, you know, 2011, Libya and, and Syria at that time, uh, they go in, and then Ukraine. And just uh, real quick, I mean... For probably most people listening, maybe not all, but you know they're familiar with the background context to, to today's Ukraine situation. There was the 2004 orange color revolution by the West, and then they mm-hmm. struck they struck again a decade later in 2014 with the coup, as you're describing. And then they effectively made uh, Kiev a puppet regime, 
and then proceeded uh, to use it as a battering ram against Russia with the express purpose to decolonize, dismember, and defang the Russian uh, bear. In a nutshell, you know, did I get it mostly right? Is that what's uh, going on? That's exactly what happened, bro. Exactly. And you know what? And it is verbatim what the German Nazi Hitler's plan Ost was to destroy uh, Russia as a country to exterminate or enslave the people and to go in there and, you know, rob and rape the resources. And really, you know, I have to say, bro, I call, you know, the US, EU, NATO, I call them the fourth Reich, dude. And it's, and it's not rhetoric and it's not an exaggeration. It's, you know, it's calling things by their right name. Really? I, I, I would agree with you. I mean, um, I'm not a leftist or, or, or communist. I don't have sympathies to socialism, but I have been for 20 years uh, using uh, calling uh, the West, the Fourth Reich, the, the North Atlantic terrorist uh, organization, you know, and, and Nazism is the ideology is has. Perf- I mean, the EU is a Nazi construct, basically. You, it's got its roots. Brussels has its roots in and, you know, Dr. Rath wrote a great book on on how um, you know a lot of the Nazis just uh, were involved in the founding of the EU and then Operation Paperclip. Uh, the U.S. integrated a lot of Nazis, and so that's what's going on. And then I guess fast forwarding, a, a lot of people are familiar with the history. And if they if they're not, they can go uh, you know look, look that up. But just you know, coming to February uh, of this year, Russia launched the special military operation. I, I viewed it and still tend to view it as a self-defense against NATO and the West, because as we mentioned, I, the goal, you know, we've got the RAND white papers and, and you know, so many uh, Atlantic uh, articles uh, talking about, you know, just dismembering, balkanizing, divide and conquer of Russia. And so I kind of viewed what Russia did. It was a sort of preemptive self-defense. How do you view the special military operation and how it's been going for Russia? Well, it was absolutely a self-defense mechanism. The Russians have penetrated the Ukrainian political, military, intelligence sectors completely. They know everything that the Ukrops and their Western masters, primarily U.S., are doing in Kiev. They, know, I mean, and the first most important thing is that you know, since 2014, you know, the Ukrainian government doesn't exist. It is a absolute puppet extension of, you know, the most fascist part, deep state of the U.S. government. You know, I mean, Poroshenko, I mean, as it's 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 so obvious, Victoria Newland, the intercepted phone call where she said, fuck the EU. And, you know. It's so stupid, you know, and it's like, I mean, it, it's, it's even more than stupid. It's like silly that, you know, all the Western media and stuff, they're like, oh, she said F the EU, Woo-hoo-hoo. you know, get there, you know, and, it's, and they miss the whole point of the, that phone call, that publication of that intercepted phone call, which was that every single person, she was talking to Jeffrey Pyatt, the U.S. ambassador. And she's like under Secretary of State Department, uh, under Hillary Clinton's State Department back 2014. Every person that she told Pyatt, you know, she wanted in 
specific positions of the Ukrainian government, every single one of them ended up in exactly those positions. You know, I mean, so it's like, you know, you talk about democracy, you talk about elections, you talk about, you know, the people having a say in what their country does. That that has nothing to do with Ukraine. I mean, I don't know about before 2014, but, you know, after 2014, you know, it has exactly zero to do with it, you know. And so it's a puppet, you know, just regime, you know, they do. And I mean, all the, the most hideous beyond imagination, hideous crimes that have been committed in Ukraine have been not just with the permission, but at the direction of the people in the United States who control Kiev now. And dude, that's the most important message I can get out to Westerners and particularly Americans. What they have done around the world to other people, they are now going to do to you at home in the United States. And that's it, dude. I mean, and, you know, since 1980, it went downhill. After 2000, it fell off the cliff, dude. And it's like, I see you have the copy of the U.S. Constitution there, the little yeah. pocket copy. I don't know if it's in the in the video, but it's yeah, the Bill of Rights and, and just to what yeah. you were saying, you know, I I was living in Kazakhstan from 2017 to 2020, working technically for Nur Sultan Nazarbayev, and I saw the color revolution apparatus with my own eyes. You know, one of my students at the school, she participated uh, in a you know after school extracurricular uh, activity with a local NGO. I forget its name right now, but then I looked it up. You know, she actually brought me. She 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 did an essay. She she showed me a certificate in Russian, and at the bottom in Cyrillic in Russian, it said it was awarded by the National Endowment for Democracy. And then of I, I I go to the NGO, and it's like U.S. sponsored by USAID, Open Society. And then I tell my supervisors at the school, like, as an American, I'm concerned for Kazakhstan. You know, America is all about liberty, democracy, and sovereignty. Well, I don't, uh, you know, just it's it's American to warn Kazakhstan about this and America has no business overthrowing Kazakhstan. And then I had the uh, in the local city, the head of the internal security take me out to lunch. Uh, I, I had I even had the Kazakh um, KNB. That's their like CIA. Um, mm -hmm. they, they were interested in me. And then we saw earlier this year in January, there was what could could have been a color revolution attempt in uh, Kazakhstan, and I've been warning them. Warning it certainly them since, was, of yeah, course. Yeah, since 2017, I've been warning them, and then we saw they're trying to take out Imran Khan in, in, in Pakistan, and so this empire mm -hmm. is insane, but just sort of to your point, the global war on terror we, we, we had, and then as you're saying now, this is one of my other concerns, the police state coming back home, the domestic war on terror. They're trying to now establish uh, you know, anyone who's conservative or, or, or patriot, patriotic or you know, left-right, whatever, um, they're now being called extremists. It's, it's just as you say, I mean, how do you see them coming after us in the U.S.? Well, I mean, first of all, the first time I voted for a U.S. president was in uh, 1988, after I came back from Germany in the Army. And I voted for Ron Paul in the Libertarian Party, 1988. The last time I voted was in 2000. And I voted for Ralph Nader in the Green Party. You know, so, I mean, 
And one thing that the libertarians got right uh, was that they 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 always said, you know, it's not a linear thing from left to right. It's circular. And you can go so far left that you become right and vice versa. You know, and for me, I'm a, uh, a social libertarian, uh, you know, economically, I'm a communist, you know, and I mean, and I'm a real communist, dude. But what I see now is that the United States, okay, fascism, bro. Benito Mussolini supposedly once said, and it doesn't matter whether he said it or not, because it's absolutely true, whoever said it, that fascism would better be called corporatism because it is the merger of state and corporate power. And if that ain't exactly what they have in the United States today, then they don't have anything there, dude, because that is exactly, exactly. The government works for the oligarchs and the corporations. I mean, you know, you look at Hunter Biden, dude, what a, I mean, you know, I did five years for smuggling weed and Hunter Biden's done enough crimes to have, you know, a million years. And yet he walks around, you know, his, his degenerate, demented dad is the president, you know, and so he's untouchable because he's an oligarch, because he's one of the one percenters, you know. I mean, I mean, not that he's really like one of the dudes pulling the strings or Biden either, but they're the ones that have done the work for the guys pulling the strings the whole time. And really for a long time, you know, I always thought, you know, yeah, 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 the stuff about the Federal Reserve, you know, the Jews, you know, it's like, I don't, I don't even want to care about that. I'm, I got other more specific things that I know about that I feel I can do something about. But, you know, the further it goes along, I mean, and I'm not anti-Semitic in any way. I, I have nothing against Jewish people, but you know what? I have something against Zionists and Pharisees, you know, and it's the same with Israel or Russia or the United States or Canada or China. It's the it's, it's the goddamn billionaires, dude. This, those you know, are that's the parasite class, and those are the enemies of the future of humanity. They don't they they see us as livestock as long as we're profitable. But as soon as we become troublesome or unprofitable, they see us as insects to be exterminated. Or, or for us to be eating uh, insects. I think w w what we're talking about, like the latest manifestation, the, you know, the most visual aspect of sort of these uh, elites seems to be the World Economic Forum, the Great Reset, you know, Corporate Commander Klaus Schwab, as I call him. And, uh, you know, just to get your thoughts on that, we were talking about how, you know, you're banned on. Uh, a number of platforms, uh, PayPal, I am as well. We were talking about Alina Lip, whose you know parents recently had their accounts shut off, and it's like this social credit system, this algorithm ghetto, this cashless society. Like this is it's this technocratic, you know, as you said, corporatism, technocratic future that they want to put the whole world under. And if you don't think the way that they think, if you step out of line, they just shut you off, and you literally cannot you know buy or sell. Um, you know, any thoughts on that as well as where, uh, you know, for example, where is Russia and 
you know, the East on that, because I see, you know, when it comes to geopolitics, uh, you know, we see genuine, genuine conflict between Russia and, and, and China and the West, you know, other countries. And then at times, I, you know, I'm, I'm wondering why Russia seems, uh, you know, they're battling the West. Yet implementing- they're still selling them oil and gas. Well, that too, but also they they implement some of these biosecurity, you know, technocratic measures in Russia, you know, QR codes, vaccine passports, and that sort of thing. So, mm-hmm. I mean, have you ever thought about that? It's like, I'm trying to square of this. Of course I have, bro. Yeah. Of course I have. And, you know, and especially, especially, it's been on everybody's mind since the special operations started. But for me, it's like this, you know, I mean... And I am, I'm proud to be a Russian citizen. I'm prouder to be a citizen of the DPR because the people of Donbass, dude, there's, there's an old poster from 1920, right at the end of the Russian Civil War, you know, between the white monarchist and the red Bolshevik armies that was fought here in Donbass primarily, you know, and including a 50,000 soldier expeditionary force it was sent by the U.S., France, Britain to come here and help the whites back then. And uh, this poster from 1920, it says, Donbass Serce Donbass is the heart of Russia. And it shows like a map going all the way up to St. Petersburg and all the way out to Samara and stuff, Kiev down to uh, you know, Crimea and all that. And Donbass is the heart, you know, and the veins go out. It's, I mean, the people here were the most staunchly communist and still are to this day of not just, and remember this poster, it said the heart of Russia, not the heart of Ukraine, not even the Soviet Union. It said the heart of Russia, you know, so, you know, Ukraine is a fake state, you know, and anyone that says, you know, it's like this. Google Maps, for instance. In the area that's under the control of the Donetsk People's Republic, Ukraine changed some of the names of the towns, like Krasny Armeski, you know, the town of the Red Army. You know, and they changed it, changed it to something like, I don't know, Banderistan or something, you know. They changed the name on Google Maps. And so if you try and look up Krasny Armeski on Google Maps, you won't find it. But it doesn't matter what some dude in Kiev or Google Maps calls the town. It matters what the people who live in that town call it. They're the ones that have the say, you know, and they're not asking anybody else what's the name of their own town, you know. So the point is that the Russians had to defend themselves. It was, it was a total puppet government that was controlled by their deadly enemies, their mortal enemies. NATO, the reason of NATO, as it was said years ago, was, uh, what was it? to keep the United States in Europe, to keep the Germans down, and to destroy Russia. You know, something like that. You know, and that's, what they've been doing this whole time. Dude, they had dozens, I mean like more than one dozen biological weapons laboratories that they were working 
in Ukraine. Ukrainians had no oversight. They had no say. They couldn't even go in. The dudes that were working there had diplomatic immunity, probably working under, you know, fake names and everything like that. They were and the, the Russians taking some of those and they got the evidence. They were studying how to use migratory birds as vectors for spreading disease. They were studying how to add gain of function to diseases so that they would particularly be effective against Slavic DNA, which is Russian and also Ukrainian that, DNA. That was, that was one of my uh, you know questions. I've interviewed the Bulgarian journalist uh, Diliana Gaitan Zayeva, and I, I was the first to interview Francis Boyle back in January 2020 to talk about Corona as a bioweapon. And um, it seems like, you know, it's sadly, it seems the West has managed the information war and they've been able to brush the biolab story under the rug because, as, as you say, the Russian MOD, Russian government have been showing all these documents about what you're talking about, but it's just not getting play in the Western media. And they have this power with the media uh, just like it, it, it doesn't exist. It's not an issue. And the Russian Russian try to bring it up at the U.N. It keeps getting denied and they can't get anywhere with this biolab uh, information. I mean, what's your take on, on that? Well, I mean. With and, and you know what? It is a fact that the West is winning the information war. Their propaganda is it's it's not that much better than the Russians, but the problem is, and this is the real problem that Western people have to face up to and take their responsibility for. The problem is is that the number of people in the West who are so stupid and so lazy that, first of all, they can't even tell, you know, truth from bullshit. And second of all, don't even really care as long as it doesn't affect them personally. That's that's the huge advantage that, you know, the West has in the propaganda war. It's that most people these days are really, really stupid. I mean, and that's just a sad fact, you know, I mean, and I hate to see it, but, you know, you look on YouTube, you see, you know, some dude on Santa Monica Beach with a map of the world, and he's like, hey, where's Ukraine? And they point to Australia or something, you know. You ask yeah. them, you know, it's like, who's the vice president? They don't even know. I mean, it's, you know, it's when people are that stupid, it's like this, dude. Okay, there's two things about Westerners, but particularly Americans. The first one is this, is that they've gotten to a point where the truth doesn't even really matter. The social contract for most people in the West and especially in America, you know, and I'm talking about 90 percent. I'll pretend to believe your bullshit if you pretend to believe mine. And think about that for a second. So it's like, oh, hi, how you doing? Oh, fine, you know. And it's like nobody gives a shit about the truth. The basis of morality is respect for the truth. Yeah, Reality. Yeah. You know, the under, to be able, you know, and of course the education system has been, you know, laser beam focused on crushing the ability for people that go through it to critically think, to ask questions, to think, you know, not just from logic, which is essential, but also from their heart, you know? I mean, and just like, 
what if it was me in that situation, in either situation? You know, what if I was the, the, the little kid being bombed in the school or the park here in Donetsk? Or, you know, I mean, it's like with the, the, the chemical weapons things in Syria, you know. How stupid do you have to be to believe that Assad would bomb his own people with prohibited chemical weapons on the day when the UN chemical weapons inspectors, I mean, you know, anyone that believes that is stupider than they think that Assad would have to be in order to do something like that, dude. So it's, it's just tragic. But the thing about the information war, Russia is very honorably and very with high moral standards, they're trying to win the information war with the truth. And the truth is one of our most important weapons, not one of our most powerful weapons, but one of our most important in the fact that we can't start, you know, slinging bullshit like the West does, just, you know, saying the opposite of the truth. Bro, since March, there's been two specific cases. I know there's many more, but two specific cases that I personally have addressed where March 14th, they shot the Ukraine shot at Tochka U. Uh, it got shot down over Donbass Center City. It had uh, uh, cassette cluster mines. Um, it killed 24 people on University Boulevard here in Donetsk. There was a photograph taken that day. You know, bodies laying in the street, a man weeping with his face in his hands over his wife who'd just been murdered by this terrorist attack. La Stampa, one of the oldest and main newspapers in Italy, ran it on the upper fold front page the next day. You know, the carnage, you know, and they don't say, you know, this is Russians bombing Kiev. They don't, but they, they imply, you know, so some idiot that doesn't read the story and he, you know, he looks at it and he sees this picture and it was the opposite of the truth, bro. It was Ukrainian terrorist attack on civilians. They run the picture and imply to, you know, when people are like, yeah, dude, I saw the picture of all those poor civilians the Russians killed. Uh, a month later, New York Post, you know, which is kind of a, you know, yellow journalism, you know, whatever, gossip rag or whatever. But, you know, multi-mega thousands of, of subscribers, if not millions. And they they showed a picture of an apartment building that got hit in Donetsk in my neighborhood. And, it, you know, it was a heavy missile, probably a hurricane, maybe a smirch. And it blew off like half of the top three floors of the apartment building. It was in my neighborhood, a couple of miles from my house. And the New York Post puts this photo the next day. You know, and again, they're not paying the photographers. They're stealing the photo. They don't credit the photographers. They don't pay them nothing. They just steal it off the Internet, you know, and then use it for reverse propaganda. And then and their headline was. Russia continues to bomb Ukrainian cities. And, and you know? uh, yeah, and and I want to get your thoughts as well on the latest, you know, switching from information war to the uh, the war on the ground. I, I was listening, uh, seeing today. I think this week, U.S. Army, former U.S. Army Colonel Douglas McGregor, saying the the U Ukrainian states will be finished off by Russian forces in the next few weeks. But you know, I think you know we also have to look at Russia and Putin with a critical 
uh, eye, and there's others saying Russia is not doing well. It's it's bungling. It's weak. You had the Harrison uh, pullouts, and you know maybe I'm I'm wrong. Maybe Russia is playing the long, you know, some long game. But if we do look at history with Napoleon and Hitler, they did sort of play the long game, and you know they won. And just you know your thoughts on how with this pullout of of Harrison and and just you know how things are going and how this might end i mean it seems like the do you think the west wants to escalate to world war three i mean i think they are crazy enough nato it seems like they they keep running these false flag ops the the the, the ukrainian missiles in poland and and the, the the nord stream and kirch bridge so we've got all of these false flag operations it's like they're trying to start world war three uh but you know thoughts on that but as well how do you see russia doing and how are they going to get out of this well i mean First of all, you know, uh, I'll say that, you know, I came here in 2014. I joined the Army. I served for a year, 2014, 2015, served for, you know, half a year in 2017 on the front as a trigger-pulling soldier, shooting and getting shot at every day, every night. And, you know, the first thing that I'll say is that, you know, and, and this whole time since till till February 2022 from 2014 you know propagandists western propagandists were saying oh well the Russians invaded Ukraine you know they're occupying Donbass and stuff which is an absolute lie you know um the Russians helped us out with some ammo with uh some financial support with some instructors you know but there was no organized Russian military units in Donbass until, you know, February of this year, you know. And in those eight years before that, it was the Donbass People's Militia that held the line, you know, that didn't retreat one step. You know, I mean, Slavyansk in 2014 under uh, Gherkin, known as Strelkov, which uh, there's a lot of controversy about that dude to this day, but he was a Russian officer. He's the one that ordered the retreat. You know, he wasn't he wasn't from Donbass. The guys who have stood on the line for the last eight years are, I mean, are defending their own homes, their own families. They understand it'll be a Nazi genocide like the German Nazis did if 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 the line breaks, if the Ukraps come in and. You know, so there's no surrender, there's no retreating, and we held that line for eight years. And now, all of a sudden, and the Russians had to come in. There was, the plan was for a major assault. They had 120,000 Ukraps on the Donbass front, which is about 200 miles, you know, from one end to the other, and they were getting ready to make a major assault. People have to understand, I'm sitting right now in the center of the city in downtown Donetsk, and to the Ukrop positions, it's less than 10 miles. The city limit is the front line. And, you know, you can drive 10 miles in a tank in, a, in an hour. You know, so they, I mean, if they break through the line, they can get right here to the center of town. And that was their plan because they tried in 2014 to, like, go around the cities and cut off the border. And they got smashed by artillery and grad rockets and like that. So this time their plan was 
to come straight into the middle of the cities and then use the civilian population, which Donetsk has probably three quarters of a million people in it today, you know. So that's a lot of civilians, you know, dense, built up urban area. You know, they get in there and then that neutralizes Russia's main military advantages, which are its rocket power, its artillery power and its air power that the Ukrainians can't really match. But if if the Ukrainian army is in the middle of of a, of a densely packed city, that stuff don't work, you know. And so we have defended Donetsk. The Russians knew ahead of time that this operation was planned to do exactly that assault into the cities in the first week of March. And they came in, you know, rode in like the cavalry at the very last minute. But they had to. They had no choice or they would have been sitting here watching, you know, Nazi style slaughter, you know, right on their own border. And the plans were, in fact, for the Ukrainian army to go further than Donbass, to go into like uh, Rostov and uh, back, you know, back into into uh, Crimea and to, you know, go into actual Russian cities after that, you know. And so they had to do it. We're glad that the Russians came in. They, for some reason, and there's only two reasons, you know, and it's either, you know, abject stupidity and utter incompetence or else, you know, it's, it's dudes in the highest part of the Russian military that don't want to win, you know, that are trying to prevent Russia from winning. And, there, and there's been, you know, some major, major screw ups that, you know, a basic, you know, that a dude on an airsoft squad should know military tactics, you know, and strategy that got done exactly the worst possible way that they could be done. And so people here are starting to wonder, you know, if Russia was really serious, they could have finished this thing up by by June, you know. But they didn't, you know, and so there's a lot of worries about this. You know, Kursan was not the first big retreat. It was about the fourth big retreat. And in these places where they come in, they say, hey, Russia's here. You know, they start giving out human aid. They start giving people jobs. They start telling the teachers, teach Russian curriculum. They start saying, hey, dude, you can be the mayor. And then they leave and then the Ukraps come back in and it's death squad time, you know, and it's. You know, there's there's been more than enough proof of it already that the Ukrop Nazis are posting of, you know, themselves of them slaughtering civilians, you know, collaborators, they call them, and also prisoners of war. You know, I mean, but but that don't get shown at all in the West, you know, and people, you know, if they want to know the truth, they have to, you know, work for it a little bit in the age of information. Ignorance is a choice. And you know what? And that's the thing. It's, you know, the worst liar that there is, is the one who lies to themselves. Because if, if they lie to themselves, everything they say and everything they do is a lie, you know? And like, I had someone very, very close to me, had a uh, master's degree in philosophy from the University of Texas, you know, studied the love of knowledge and wisdom. 
I tried to talk to her about WTC7 falling at free fall speed into its own footprint. And me being a demolition specialist trained by the U.S. Army, I'm like, I can tell you that it's like, you know, you know, it's like if you put your car in reverse, it's not going forward. There's only one way that a building can fall like that. And she said, this philosopher said these this sentence, these exact words, bro. She said, I don't want to know. I don't want to know about it. Yeah. And that's the problem, dude. It's fucking it's cowardice. It's convenience. You know, it's it's choosing to be stupid. And those who uh, acquiesce to evil are also evil. Yeah, I'd agree with you. It's and people can't it's cowardice. People can't face uh, this level of evil that we're dealing with globally. And just on the, uh, Ukraine, you know, uh, Russia has taken back the four regions and where do you see things going like we're just at some point waiting for a peace well, agreement where, where things okay, will end look, man, it's like, think things will end here or um do you think that, no, no, you know, no 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 i mean russia cannot afford to take you know say if you draw a line from chernobyl which is just west of kiev on the belarus border down to the northern tip of Moldova. You know, it's it's further west than the Dnieper River. And that's how much Russia, in my opinion, has to take, has to take. Because they need their, you know, the buffer zone for security and stuff like that. You know, there's no way that they can take and hold western Ukraine, which is, you know, just a, you know, a ball of Nazi maggots there. You know, I mean, they've been brainwashed there since before the Second World War, you know, that would be, that would make, you know, occupation of Iraq or Afghanistan look like a picnic, you know. So they don't have to take that, but they have to take Kiev. I mean, their stated goals, denazification, demilitarization. That can't happen without regime change. That can't happen without taking Kiev. So they, they're going to take it, dude. I mean, the idea of Ukraine beating Russia in a war, you know, it's like saying, you know, New Zealand beating Australia or Mexico beating the United States or Canada beating the United States. It just, it ain't going to happen. You know, they're, they're, whatever the problem was before, they've now understood that it's an existential fight. They, it's victory or death. You know, Putin has been around long enough that, you know, he knows people that died in the great patriotic war. He knows what Nazism really is, he ain't going to be having it on his doorstep. I mean, and, and they're starting, to, I mean, and people talk about the long game, you know, the economic, the political, like that. And, and those are real wars, too, you know, the information war, the economic war. You know, uh, as Michael Parenti famously said, you know, uh, economic violence is just uh, physical violence in slow motion. You know, but as we remember from Madeleine Albright, you can kill 500,000 500, Iraqi kids just with economic violence, you know. So, and they're winning, they're winning the economic war. They're doing better now and they're doing okay in the information war. And they understand, I think, finally, that they must win the military war because if they lose the military war, if they, you know, if they get their ass whipped in Ukraine, they lose all credibility. 
you know, I mean, there's a danger. I mean, you know, you look at Turkey, you know, and he's, you know, Erdogan, you know, you talk about a greasy swindling motherfucker, you know, he's excuse my language, but you know, he's, you know, he's everybody's friend and whoever pays him the best, you know, he does what they say, you know, so you can't trust him, even the Chinese. I mean, if the Chinese see Russia as weak, they will not be an ally. So Russia has to show their strength in front of China because, you know, the, the thing is, it's like Nancy Pelosi going to Taiwan and all these, you know, Americans going to China. They're like, look, dude, just you don't have to do anything. Just sit here. We're going to kick the Russians ass in Ukraine and then we're going to start taking over Russia. You can have the eastern half. You can have Siberia. You know, it'll be like that. Well, you know, I mean, and of course, who would be stupid enough to trust the Americans? But it's a pretty sweet sounding deal for the Chinese. And and there's, you know, there's work and risk involved in them maintaining political and economic and military alliances with Russia, you know. So Russia has to show that they're strong, that they're not chumps, that they're not ate up with traitors, that they're not cowards, that, you know, when it comes down to, you know, the fight, they can hold their own, you know, that they don't get ass whipped by, you know, New Zealand or, you know, like that. So hopefully, I mean, and I, I, I do believe that Russia's waiting for the winter. And I do believe that, I mean, of course, I believe that, you know, by the June of this year, Russia was going to be in Kiev and holding the war crimes trials, you know, but, and they should have been, dude, they should have been, and they can be, and I think they will be at least, I think that by, by June of 2023, unless there's a nuclear exchange, and you know, and that's another thing too, bro, and I'm one of the guys that broke the story about the plan for the dirty bomb that the U-crops were going to say was a nuclear tactical nuke and stuff. And that was also, also absolutely real, dude. They're, I mean, they've used chemical weapons. They've used radioactive material uh, just to, you know, uh, give radiation sickness to soldiers on the borders. They've used biological weapons. You know, they're, you know, they're every tri dirty trick in the book, man they're absolutely capable of without concern of the consequences, you know, on the global stage, as long as it makes America and the people who own America stronger. So Russia had to come in. I think they've now finally decided to quit, you know, fiddling around. And I think they're going to kick some hard ass and it's going to be, you know, Russia and Kiev by June. I hope so, because if not, if they fail, to take the military initiative, which they don't have right now, by the way. I mean, it does. I mean, people are starting to say, hey, man, what Russia's getting their ass kicked and stuff like that. And you can't say no, dude, when they're retreating from four major areas. You know, when the Ukrop army is still 10 miles from the center of Donetsk. You know, when we don't have water here in Donetsk now, you know. It, for a while, since the operation started, the Ukraps started bombing the water filtration, water pumping stations. And, you know, for the last couple of months, it's been like water rationing, you know. I, I think Russia, different, I've heard Russian troops will be coming uh, online soon, no? Like 100, 200,000. Yeah, like 300,000, you know. But, I mean, 
troops are only as good as the generals who command them, you know, and, you know, their leaders, you know, I mean, all the way down to the squad level. I mean, my friends and I mean, almost all my friends are on the front right now, you know, I mean, almost every single one of them. And they're, they're not happy with the Russian command structure, you know, I mean, they say, for example, you know, you know, these are guys that are eight year veterans of war, twice as long as World War Two, you know, front line, 25, 28 days a month. You know, these are experts. These are some of the best soldiers in the world, the DPR Army. And then Russia sends in some shave tail lieutenant straight out of the academy. He's going to come in and start, you know, with all, you know, shiny boots. And he's going to come in and start telling these expert veterans you know, what to do. And and my friend, he's like, and you know, the thing is, all these uh, Krasovchiks, all these pretty boy lieutenants, they all got iPhones. And the iPhone, you can't transfer the document from iPhone, like a map, for instance, something very important. The guy's like, okay, I order you to take this hill. Okay, send me the map. Oh, I'm sorry. Do you have an iPhone? You know, and it's just, I mean, it's like that, dude. I mean, in 2017, when I was on the front, the Russians started coming in, like kind of taking command of some of the higher up decisions in 2017 on the front lines. If the Ukraps start shooting at you or even start attacking your base, you have to call the commander and ask for permission to fire back. And then your commander has to call, you know, the Russian co-commander, who's probably at some fancy restaurant with a couple of his girlfriends, you know, in, you know, Pushkin Boulevard in Donetsk and get permission from the Russian. And then the commander can call back and say, OK, you can start shooting. If he doesn't reach the Russian commander, he can't say OK. You know, and so and and and. It was the Russian idea, bro. Oh, when you go to the front, we're going to count how many rounds you have. And when you come back, we're going to count how many rounds you have. And if you have less than you went with, we'll put your ass in jail. You know, so there's, I mean, there's some real legitimate criticism, you know, from these round counting iPhone pretty boys. You know, and, and and all the way up to the way it's been conducted at the general staff level. You know, I mean, it's, it's legitimate. And Russia has to, they must change the course of this war if they want to survive. Because, okay, Kursan just fell. That was a disgrace. That was a debacle. The next uh, target for the Ukrainian army is the ZNPP, the nuclear power base. If they take that, and, and the, the nuclear power plant is 100 miles from, from Kherson. They're already moving all the dudes that they built up for the attack on Kherson. They're moving to Zaporozhye now. You know, and it's across the river, and it'll be a tough, tough crossing. But D-Day was a tough crossing, too. You know, and if they take the Zaporozhye nuclear power plant, they're going to you know, just like, you know, we say, oh, General Ar Armageddon, he's cutting off the power in Lvov and Kiev. If they take that power plant, 
they can do a lot of that stuff right here to us too you know and and then if they take that power plant it's 100 miles to donetsk from there dude and as i've said since 2015 as goes donetsk so goes the world bro if because if donetsk falls russia loses all credibility they they lose if they lose donetsk they lose this war dude would you say if that happens um so if russia succeeds then we're on our way to the multipolar world but if they fail um there won't be much of the multi multipolar world uh yeah dude i mean because the thing is it's and you know what i'm a i'm an orthodox christian and uh i've always I've always been a very spiritual guy i do absolutely believe that this is a battle of evil against the future of humanity and and it's and it is that dude i mean russia is the country that's standing up against the new world order and the great reset and all that stuff i mean and of course they've kind of collaborated in some ways like with the covid virus and stuff like that which also brings a lot of questions from people here i mean we never really played that shit here, dude. I mean, it was like, you know, uh, I mean, I, I, I can't remember the last time I saw anybody wearing a mask around here, you know. And I mean, even in the time, you know, people, I mean, like you'd go in the grocery store and do all your shopping. And then you had to put the mask on like when you were paying at the cashier, you know. And uh, I mean, so, I mean, it's it's weird. And, and, that, and that's the thing, dude, because. When the best, most patriotic people in all of Russia, which is the people of Donbass, start wondering what's going on, if they can really trust the Kremlin, then the Kremlin needs to prove by their actions. Because with every politician in the world, everywhere in the world, dude, what they say means nothing. It means nothing. What they do says everything. You know, so, you know, if... If the Ukraps come to Donetsk, you know, I have my. You're ready. <laughs> I have AK-47. I got a bulletproof vest. I got a pistol, too. You know, I'll sell my life uh, not cheaply, you know. Uh, remember the Alamo and all that, you know. But uh, if, if, if the Ukraps come into Donetsk, I don't really want to live. I don't want to see what happens after that, you know. So I'll go out fighting. But, you know, if Russia has to win in Ukraine in order to protect itself. And if it doesn't, then, you know, all the dreams of the multipolar world go down the drain. Because then, you know, the devil dude comes in. He's like, hey, I'll pay off the presidents. We kill this one. We pay that one. But as long as there's Russia and it's strong enough and it's, hand, it's taking care of its business, which means making sure Donetsk stays alive, then there's hope, bro. Right. Um, yeah, it's a really, you know, I, I feel like we're in the 1930s again. We're at the, uh, historical. We are, bro. Crossroads. We really are, dude. And it's, 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 you know, all the Nazis that got away that the Catholic Church and the CIA and the MI6 helped to escape and put in positions of political and military and intelligence power, you know, 80 years ago, 
I mean, Christia Freeland, you know, the, the son of, or the daughter of, or the son or the daughter, I don't know exactly which, <laughs> of, or granddaughter of, of the, you know, a genuine Ukrainian Nazi collaborator, you know, Banderisti propagandist, Nazi propagandist, who got away and went to Canada, you know, and now she's, you know, the de facto head you know, I mean, she's got more balls than Trudeau, so they, you know, they might. They're t- they're talking about her as as head of NATO. So there you go. Um, uh, you know, any then, yeah, I've had on Eve Engler, the Canadian uh, activist, where he he writes in depth about her. But um, and any final then um, thought for us? Yeah, I mean, okay, so people in the West need to take responsibility for the world for their own self interest that of their children for their for the interest of their souls you know we can't save the world it's not our job to save the world our job is to save our own souls by trying to save the world by doing what's good by telling the truth you know by not being stupid and lazy and not caring what happens to people besides yourself and so people and the first step on that road is to, you know, be educated enough to understand what reality really is, you know, to be able to think critically. Um, the propaganda is overwhelming. They're cutting it off, you know, right and left, which goes to show, you know, who's telling the truth and who's lying. You know, in an open society, and I don't mean a George Soros open society, but people can consider the ideas you know i mean somebody that spouts off nazism or something as long as there's an equal you know coverage of the other side that guy's always gonna lose dude because he's an idiot and asshole they got their asses kicked in 1945 you know and and that's what always happens and what deserves to happen to guys like that you know but people these days i mean first of all you got to get on like alternative media, you know, like TNT radio is good. You know, there's some good alternative information that's still out there that isn't co-opted. It isn't lies and propaganda. Um, Telegram. There's Telegram, which is the Russian version of Twitter, pretty much. You know, it's uh, it's 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 the new thing. It's the new platform without censorship without getting you know people getting kicked off and that you can find a lot of real news there particularly about the russian ukrainian war that you can't find anywhere else dude i mean frontline i have a channel on telegram it's got you know fifteen thousand subscribers something like that but i mean so it ain't big but this is you know my channel is the perspective of a veteran of this war who's here on the ground, you know, next to the shelling, going to collect the water, seeing what the prices are, seeing what the Russians are doing, all that kind of stuff. So it's, you know, as front line as you can get. You know, I don't I don't have to go, you know, be like, uh, you know, some of these dudes with the, the vest and the helmet and the microphone. I don't have to go to the front line. I'm already on the front line, dude. I can hear shelling all day long. Dude, when I go to my house in Petrovsky, I made a video there recently in five minutes, no, seven minutes in my backyard. I counted 53 artillery shells going both ways right over my house, dude. So 
that's that's as front as you you know i mean unless unless you got your own gun with you you know that's about as front as you want to go so telegram is excellent there's v contact also which is like the russian version of facebook i'm on there too i got about ten thousand subscribers there you know i mean it's there's like 600 million people a lot of people that speak english are there now i mean facebook you know i mean it's and and of course i was fortunate enough for them to kick me off so i can say it now but because i'm not on it and i would probably still be on it if if they hadn't kicked me off just because it was another important platform for me but you know facebook is i mean it's it's completely a spy operation they read everything they give everything to the nsa or whoever else wants it i mean it's propaganda it's it's ludicrously censored you know i mean even before they kicked me off i mean for the last couple of years i was on there dude it was like you know i'd get on for a week 30-day ban come back at the end of 30 days maybe a week if i was lucky before the next one you know i mean so you know you can you get kicked off for telling the truth there so uh v contact vk as it's called you can look it up that's an excellent alternative telegram is the best information alternative right now you know not just for um about the ukraine russian war but i mean like you know everything about like the vaccine about everything it doesn't get censored bro it, so apart from your vk and telegram i follow you there on on both platforms um, you've got RussellTexasBentley.org and DonBassHumeAid.com. Uh, you know, are, are there are those good websites for people to visit? Yes, yes, yes. The .org. I mean, I, my website. I haven't really been uh, updating recently, but that is my uh, most. Uh, there's .org. There's RussellTexasBentley.com. That's my old one that I somehow get got locked out of back two years ago uh then i got russeltexasbentley.org and then i got russeltexasbentley.info so i mean those may i mean they're still up there's some good stuff at that first one.com uh some of my old stuff if anybody's looking into looking for stuff about the historical perspective from say uh 15 2015 to 19 a donbass human aid is a 501c3 registered charity in the United States. People can, I mean, 100% legit, 100% legal. People can donate to that and deduct it from their taxes. Um, and we've done, you know, some really good work since 2015. I was a co-founder since the operation started because people started, uh, you know, going to the the offices and the church and stuff like that that's working with us in in the united states and like threatening them saying oh you're with Teos bentley the terrorist and stuff so i've kind of separated myself away from it but i can guarantee you that there's nobody that's making any money nobody gets paid it's all volunteers and 100 percent of everything that goes to donbass human aid goes to uh, to help people here mainly kids schools orphanages people whose homes have been bombed people who have been wounded by shelling you know stuff like that it's really um really uh, i mean the best organization that you can uh contribute to for you know helping 
you know, totally non-military, peaceful, totally legal, you know, ways to contribute to help victims of this war. All right. All, all the links are in the description, your VK, Telegram, uh, what these websites and, and, and so forth. And so, uh, you know, the crazy times uh, that we live in Texas, uh, I, I hope the um, Ukrainians don't uh, make it to uh, where you are and that, you know, Russia holds the line. But um, thank you for being on Geopolitics and Empire and, and Godspeed, uh, Russell. Thank you too, my brother. I hope you enjoyed this Geopolitics and Empire podcast. The website is geopoliticsandempire.com, and I encourage you to sign up to the free email list that notifies you of every new podcast and other important updates. The email list and website are our last lines of defense. We're being censored and deplatformed. It's almost impossible to find Geopolitics and Empire on the Google search engine. We've been blacklisted. YouTube frequently strikes videos. Facebook restricts our page. Reddit, Twitter, and LinkedIn take down posts. After the Associated Press mentioned geopolitics and empire in a 2021 article co-written with NATO, or the Atlantic Council, our Patreon account was terminated. Vimeo also terminated our pro account at one point. In April of 2022, the Department of Homeland Security had PayPal ban us for life. The best free way to help geopolitics and empire is to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or elsewhere and subscribe to all of our media channels. You can find the video broadcast now on five platforms, Odyssey, Rockfin, Rumble, BitChute, and Brighteon. You can find the audio broadcast on the entire podcast ecosystem, SoundCloud, Apple, Spotify, and so on. My current favorite social media channels are Twitter and Telegram, but you can also find us on Gab, MeWe, Minds, Float, VK, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. You can support this guerrilla signal by donating via DonorBox, Buy Me a Coffee, Subscribestar, or Crypto. You can purchase a consultation with the host to talk about expatriation, geopolitics, or podcasting. You can also become a monthly or annual member via Stripe and receive benefits such as partaking in a monthly member Zoom call, get access to a weekly recording of my random thoughts, and a private Telegram channel. Thank you for listening.